Welcome, everyone. I'm Kim Christensen, and this is the Peaceful Productivity Podcast, where I share strategies to help you get the most out of your time and feel better in the process. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Peaceful Productivity Podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Today, we're going to be talking about stored emotion. I used to be a emergency services dispatcher. The reason that I really enjoyed this work is, well, first of all, I enjoyed being helpful. It felt really good to respond to someone else's emergency and be able to provide them with assistance and support in a time of crisis. I also really liked the black and white nature of emergency response. There's no room for ambiguity. The idea is that you get the person the help that they need as soon as possible. And so I liked the clear cut nature of the work. It was helping to bring a bit of control and certainty back into a world that has a lot of uncertainty and a lot of things that we can't control. And I think I was really good at it. The reason why is because I had this ability to park any type of emotion and just be calm, confident, and certain in a moment. And that's what people need in a moment of crisis is they need a calm, reassuring voice on the other end to help them through that moment of personal crisis, a moment when things seem very much out of control. And I think the reason why I was so good at it is because I had developed this ability over time to park emotion. And so no matter what was going on for me internally in regards to the situation, I had the ability to park that and adopt an air of calm, confidence, and certainty in that moment. And I could project that and reassure the person on the other end of the phone call. I actually have a bit of a funny story around this. I had a dear friend who was visiting me with her husband from out of town and I had to work that particular day and she and her husband decided that they were going to go for a walk in the park. I was a couple hours into my shift when she ended up on the other end of the 911 call and I automatically assumed and said to her, you can't call me on this line. I'm working right now. I was in my emergency response mode. And she quickly assured me that she was calling for an emergency and went on to describe the situation that she was dealing with. And side note, it was something that turned out okay. She was calling on behalf of someone else who needed help. However, it was entirely appropriate that she call 911 for this particular situation. But what I find funny is that I was in such a mode of professional 
response that it didn't even occur to me that this person who was very accomplished, intelligent (laughs) person would be calling for anything other than a personal connection. And why I think that's so fascinating now in hindsight is because I had a way of really disconnecting personal from professional. I took on that emergency services mode and it served me really, really well in that mode. There was no room for emotional response or personal connection. It was very clear-cut, clinical, dry, confident, calm. And that's what exactly was needed in those situations. Now, many years later, upon reflection, I realized that that habit of parking emotions was something that I developed very early on and served me really well in my professional career. But over time, parking those emotions and storing them was not actually releasing them. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is this idea that pushing emotions aside in order to get the job done might serve us over the short term. However, it has long-term consequences. What I've come to understand is that pushing these emotions aside isn't getting rid of them. They're actually being stored in our bodies and they can have unintended consequences over time. If you're interested in reading more about this, I just finished Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps Score. This is a great book for highlighting the unintended consequences of storing these emotions and how to actually release them routinely rather than make a habit of never coming back to them. This book is a really good investigation and illustration of the mind-body connection. And it's very helpful for bringing a holistic approach to healing. He says, in the treatment of emotional unwellness, we can't just necessarily talk ourselves to a cure. We have to consider incorporating the whole body into the healing process. And so he goes on to describe things like movement and rhythm and chanting, even things like meditation and yoga for integrating that mind and body experience. It's a very amazing read. I actually think it should be mandatory in all of the schools. And the reason why is because I grew up in a culture where we didn't attend to our emotional needs. We were often given messages about attending to other people's emotional needs. We were sent messages like, don't make him mad, or you hurt her feelings, or go and apologize and make them feel better. There was a lot of conversation and instruction on how to make other people feel better, but there was very little about helping to comfort ourselves. We were often told things like, Fake it until you make it. Grin and bear it. Never let them see you sweat. 
and maintain a stiff upper lip. Sometimes we internalize those messages to suggest that emotions and our emotional response is undeserved and actually can be harmful. That's the message we take away. At least that's what I took away as I stuffed the emotions down and became really, really good at relying on cognitive intelligence and logic and rational thinking. And probably the reason why I went into a career like accounting that really relies heavily on those types of things. What I now realize is that when we have stored emotion, we often have a nervous system that can get stuck in a state of high alert. So we're constantly scanning the environment for potential threats, and we're even interpreting things that are quite tame as potentially threatening because of this highly activated nervous system. So much so that we stay in this state of high alert for so long that it becomes overwhelmed and it shuts down. What can happen as a result is that we can get ourselves stuck in this loop between high alert and overwhelm and not really be able to bring ourselves back to that parasympathetic state, that state of relaxation, sometimes termed the rest and digest state, because we've gotten stuck in this loop of high alert, anxious energy, urgency, pressure, and overwhelm. And we go back and forth between those two states and we never get the chance to release the stored emotion and bring ourselves back to a state of rest and relaxation. So the question becomes, once we get into that loop of high alert to overwhelm, how do we get ourselves back to a state of rest and digest? I think that this habit can be stored in our body physiologically in our nervous system, mentally in our brains, and emotionally in stored emotion. This is my interpretation of what happened for me is that the habit became so ingrained that it just became my reality. I didn't even realize that I was stuck in this loop. I didn't recognize it until one day I realized that I hadn't felt joy in a really long time. My life felt like it had gotten into a routine of take care of the family, go to work, take care of the family, go to work. The spark had really gone out. It was just this feeling of meh. I wasn't depressed in that I was still able to meet the demands of day-to-day life and I still saw a point in all of it. So having had experience with clinical depression, I knew that I wasn't in a state of depression, but it was more a state of meh. And I've since heard, since the pandemic, I've heard this state referred to as languishing. And I think that's really appropriate to how I was feeling. 
languishing is described as being on the spectrum between depression and flourishing, somewhere in between. I believe that the term was coined by a sociologist by the name of Corey Keyes. He's credited with bringing this forward to describe people who aren't necessarily depressed, but they also aren't thriving. There's a real absence of well-being. And I think that's a really appropriate way to describe how I was feeling at this point. I was feeling burned out and like I couldn't remember the last time I had experienced spontaneous joy. And what made it even worse is that by most standards, including my own, I had this amazing life. I had career, I had family, and I had spent a lifetime building those things. And yet, I couldn't really take joy in that. In fact, I felt guilty for not being more grateful. Everyone carries stored emotion to some degree. I think it can be very helpful to us to have that ability to park an emotion, in, especially in the, in the face of a crisis or a serious problem, and rely entirely on our logic. And it can also mask a degree of self-doubt and assume self-confidence until we're actually operating from a place of self-confidence that whole idea of fake it until you make it. But the problem with habitually storing these emotions is that they don't just go away. They actually stay below the level of conscious awareness and they can affect the way that you think about yourself, how you react to stress, your physical well-being, and your relationships with others. For me, the biggest cost of routinely parking emotion is that I slowly became disconnected from them. I didn't recognize that was what I was doing, and I didn't even really see it as a problem until, like I said, I came to the point where I realized I hadn't experienced joy in a long time. That's the problem with denying your emotional experience is you don't become good at just parking the uncomfortable emotions, you become good at parking all emotions. It's like the color is slowly drained out of your life and everything becomes a bit gray. Tolerable, but not really living in the full sense of the word. For me, I lost touch with what I really wanted and most problematically, what I really needed. Because that's what emotions are. They're messages that are being sent about our needs and our wants. And if we get in the habit of putting those aside, even with the best of intentions, we can start to lose touch with them. (laughs) It's like stuffing something into an already overfull closet. It's hard to distinguish what's important and what's inconsequential. So much so that it all becomes inconsequential. I just want to add a quick note here. If this is resonating with you and you feel like you're having a hard time meeting the demands of everyday life or you're worried about depression, I encourage you to please talk to your doctor. For me, this burnout happened post-depression episodes and 
post-cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. So I knew that this languishing state that I had arrived at needed to be addressed because if I didn't do something differently, I was going to potentially be back on that road to depression. So what entered my life at that particular time was my introduction to my very first coach, Brooke Castillo. What I really liked about her approach was that it was reminiscent of cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. There is a lot of emphasis on thoughts, but there was also an incorporation of feelings into that coaching approach. She calls the approach the thought model. I then went on to get my own coaching certification with her school, and that's now the model that I use is the thought model. It is derived from CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, but it also incorporates feelings into the formula. And I think that's really what I needed during that state of languishing. What that first experience with coaching taught me was the value of personal inquiry. So insights around thoughts and feelings and how that was showing up in my life but also an understanding of how they were influencing my actions and my results, whether I was conscious of it or not. After becoming a certified coach, I entered the next stage of my journey, which was investigating stored emotion. This work has been fascinating to me to better understand the mind-body connection and the role of stored emotion in my day-to-day life. It's like being able to see the tip of the iceberg for my whole life and now being able to see below the surface. It's amazing because not only does coaching lead to insights and understanding, but most importantly, if I can understand the source of my actions and results, which is my thoughts and emotions, then I can take steps to own and manage them instead of letting them run the show behind the scenes. It's a feeling of ownership and empowerment. I'll give you one small example. I realized through this work that I had a habit of focusing on the worst case scenario. And I can trace that back to my days in emergency response. I can trace it back to the ultra conservative nature of being an accountant. I can figure out where that thought process came from. However, through coaching, I realized that this was a habit that I had created for myself over time. It wasn't a pattern of thinking that I had inherited or been genetically disposed to. It was something that I had cultivated over time. And the reason why that idea is so powerful is because once I realized it was a habitual thought process, it gave me the opportunity to change it if I wanted to. I started giving equal airtime in my brain to the best case scenario to balance out that worst case scenario thinking. I don't think that that would have even occurred to me prior to starting this coaching work because 
I would have just assumed that that was the way I was. Changing that habit has done wonders for my outlook on life. I can now recognize when I'm focusing too much time and attention on the worst case scenario, and I can take steps to manage and redirect my attention. So what I'd like to offer in this podcast episode is it's entirely okay and necessary at times to park emotion, whether it be in our day-to-day lives, in a crisis situation, even just responding to a problem. It is entirely appropriate to park emotions. What is really useful is to loop back and create this habit of processing them routinely so that they don't become stored and create unintended long-term consequences. I'll offer some techniques for releasing an emotion. If you would like more information on releasing the emotion, I think it's very helpful to read Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps Score. He provides lots of great advice on using movement, rhythm, meditation, yoga, all of those types of things to become more aware of our thought processes and our emotional response. Specifically, what's worked for me in terms of releasing an emotion is to identify it and feel it in my body. You know, it's interesting, before I started this work, I would often go to my brain to figure out an emotional problem, quote unquote. I was really comfortable in my brain and I also was very comfortable taking action as a way to distract myself from emotions. Now, as a habit, I check in with my body to understand what's happening there and feel it at a cellular level, not just in my brain. I'll give you a great example. The difference between going to your brain and your body is when someone asks you if you're hungry, You go into your brain and you ask yourself, well, when did I last eat? Should I be hungry right now? I don't typically eat more frequently than every three or four hours, so it doesn't make sense that I would be hungry right now. (laughs) That's what it looks like to go to your brain to understand a sensation in your body. Going to your body would be actually moving from the brain the cognitive intellectual approach and experiencing the sensations in your body. So what does hunger really feel like in your body? Does it feel like emptiness? Does it have a manifestation in your mouth, in your throat, in your stomach? What does it really feel like to be hungry? This is just one small example of how to experience a sensation in your body. Once you can experience it in your body, then the next step is to validate it. Sometimes we'll identify an emotion or a sensation and we'll critique it. (laughs) We'll criticize it. Well, I shouldn't be hungry right now. I just had lunch. Or I shouldn't be feeling frustrated. I should 
try take steps to work this out whatever that looks like in your brain an inner dialogue judging the emotion or the sensation aside from understanding it validating it can be really really helpful I find that nothing blocks peaceful productivity more than judgment, judgment of our emotional experience. Once we've validated the emotion and recognized the message behind it, we can start to explore what this emotion is creating for us in our life. What is the stored emotion creating for us? And what's the opportunity that is being presented as a result of this emotion? This is where I've found coaching to be so helpful because I think when we're alone with ourselves and our own thoughts and feelings, we can just perpetuate the same old habit of pushing through it, getting to work, putting your head down, grin and bear it. Whereas when you're in a safe space with a coach, you can explore these thoughts and feelings with a very uncritical eye and really understand what they're creating for you and start to take some ownership, which leads to that empowerment that I was talking about earlier. Okay, this has been a bit of a longer episode than what I typically do, but I thought it was really important to talk about stored emotion and give you some techniques on recognizing and processing emotion. If you'd like more information on creating peaceful productivity, I'll invite you to check out my website, financialwellnesscoach.ca. Have a great day, everyone.